back to another episode of the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. I'm Michael Cravens, and I'm your host. Before we jump into today's discussion, I've got just a couple updates to cover. First, I've got one correction from our last episode when I was referring to the Arizona Game and Fish Department's hunt guidelines and recommendation process. I mistakenly said that they would be taking comments July 1st through the 30th, when in fact that was supposed to be January 1st through the 30th. So I hope you caught that mistake and hopefully you got those letters, comments in supporting our department and science-based wildlife management. Um, I've also got an update from the Arizona Mule Deer Organization. They have just purchased their fifth 500 gallon water trailer along and along with Christian Hunters of America have bought their first 1,000 gallon water trailer. Further, just two weeks ago, they scraped, cleaned, and sealed two aprons on water catchments in Unit 42. And of course, with the severe drought our region has been experiencing, this type of boots on the ground work is absolutely vital to maintaining healthy habitats and wildlife populations of, of all kinds. So if you want to support the Arizona Mule Deer Organization and, and this important work that they're doing, you got an opportunity coming up. Uh, they have a banquet set for March 19th at the Wickenburg Country Club. I'll leave a link in the show notes to where you can get those tickets. All right, now I'm going to brag a bit about the Arizona Wildlife Federation. This past weekend, in conjunction with National Wildlife Federation Outdoors, we held a Sportsman's Climate Roundtable at Historic Brewery in Flagstaff. The panel of experts we put together was nothing short of extraordinary. We had Congressman Tom O'Halloran, Dr. Brian Kilmowski. Brian is the meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service in Flagstaff. We had Andrew Sanchez Medor. Andrew is the executive director of Ecological Restoration <clears throat> Institute, forgive me, and an associate professor of forest biometrics and quantitative ecology with Northern Arizona University School of Forestry. Then we also had Ty Supley, anyone who's been involved in conservation in our state uh, for any amount of time already has heard of Tice. Tice is the Director of Bird Conservation for National Audubon Society. She serves as the President of the Arizona Elk Society and she has retired from a 29-year long career with the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Finally, we had the Arizona Wildlife Federation's Board of Directors own Lloyd Barnett. Lloyd spent 31 years working for the Forest Service, and he knows Northern Arizona's forests as well as anyone. Impressive panel, right? I, I think so. Uh, the event started with a field trip that was led by Andrew. We looked at examples of unhealthy forests and conversely well-managed healthy forests that are functioning properly and providing good habitat for wildlife. I'll just say that the conversation was fascinating and way too in-depth to lay out here. With that said, I hope to get Andrew on for a future episode to talk about health and, and management of our forests. Then we gathered back at the brewery for our open to the public roundtable for discussion and, and a few pints. 
we talked about uh, what the scientific data um, is showing us about a changing climate. We talked about our role as sportsmen in regards to a changing climate. And we discussed management practices that will lead to more resilient forests and, and better wildlife habitat. The entire event was not only informative, but also a lot of fun. So with that, I want to say thanks to everyone who came and joined us. And I want to offer a special thanks to our panelists. Finally, I'm going to wrap up uh, this update with our Camo at the Capitol event coming up Thursday, February 3rd on the Senate lawn uh, down at the state capitol. With the help of Trout Unlimited and Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, this is going to be our fourth annual event. And I am speaking from personal experience when I tell you that it is it's an absolute, absolute blast. Uh, in short, the the event brings together our state's great conservation organizations to build a strong, informed, effective voice for advocating for wildlife habitat and our sporting heritage. The event will run from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. and it's open to the public. We're going to hear from some of our state legislators, uh, the Arizona Game and Fish Department. There will be free fly casting lessons from Trout Unlimited and always a big hit wild game tastings. This year we'll be serving up Coos Whitetail Deer, Black Bear, Dove, Quail, Waterfowl, and more. If you're a regular eater of wild game, then come down, get some new recipes. And if you're not, come down and try it. It's probably nothing like you think, and you are going to be impressed. Now that that's all wrapped up, let's get on with our show. Today, we are highlighting Steve Clark of the Arizona Elk Society. I won't say much about the Elk Society and Steve now because you're gonna hear all about them in just a few moments. I will say that we, that they, I forgive me, they are an affiliate of the Arizona Wildlife Federation. And so you understand what that means, I'm gonna give you just a very short history lesson. So bear with me for just a moment. If you listen to our first episode, you already know that the Arizona Wildlife Federation was founded in 1923. Back then, we went by the name Arizona Game Protective Association. The association was a collective group of game species specific conservation groups who came together to ensure that Arizona's wildlife was managed by, by science. Um, today, we still follow that model, but we've broadened our affiliates to include non-sporting voices like the Friends of the Verde River. This allows a more diverse group of voices at the table who still work to come together in the center to ensure that our wildlife is managed by sound science and best governance. Steve and the Arizona Elk Society is just the first in a series that we'll be interspersing into our podcast schedule. So you'll have the opportunity to learn about these great organizations and all the work they do for the health of our wildlife and habitat here in Arizona. So with all of that, please enjoy this chat with Steve Clark of the Arizona Elk Society. Here we go. All right. I am sitting here today with somebody I greatly admire, uh, Steve Clark of the Arizona Elk Society. I say I greatly admire Steve Clark because Steve is good at all of the things that I'm not. I'm passionate about wildlife and wild places, but when it comes down to running an organization, um, and making things happen on the ground, that's where I fall apart. And that's where somebody like Steve comes in. Steve has got 
an unbelievable business sense, and he has built the Arizona Elk Society um, into something that's just unbelievably impressive and, and wonderful for Arizona's wildlife. So with that, Steve, tell us a little bit about you, where you come from, how you got involved in conservation, how you end up here at the Elk Society. Uh, thank you, Michael. The The reason I like the outdoors was brought on. My dad was really in, ingrained in us about camping and fishing and things like that. We never hunted back then when we were kids. Uh, I didn't even actually start hunting till I was about 35 years old. And I met a friend in the woods and he was shooting a bow and I thought, ah, that's kind of a cool way to hunt. Cause I spent a lot of time in the woods and I was seeing animals and I thought, ah, this is no fun, you know, this hunting stuff. But then the challenge of the archery part of it was really big for me. So I decided to get into archery and a couple of years later started hunting, you know, and it was, it was fun, but spending all that time in the woods made me appreciate the habitat and the wildlife things like that i learned started learning about game and fish obviously getting a license and what they do and how they manage the elk and stuff and then it's i had my own business back then for a long time and i, I started supporting a lot of the conservation groups the national wild turkey federation and others the uh and then it just it just morphed through friends and everything. We had a where a lot of us were volunteers and stuff for other organizations, and we decided to start the Arizona Elk Society. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. A lot of people might not realize that, along with the the host of of North American Wildlife um, Elk, were almost extirpated. Or I guess am I am I correct in saying they were extirpated from the state of Arizona? Actually, the Miriam's elk was the the elk that was here before. And they were extirpated right at the end of the 1800s. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, some people say 1906, but most of the records show late 1800s. Uh, in 1913, a group of people from the Elks, the BPOE Elks, got together and decided to bring some elk back to the state. And they trucked in a bunch on train and then and, and brought them in, released them up in northern Arizona. Over on the Winslow side was the first the first bunch of them. And from that, that was in 1913 a few years later they did it again and left some over here and put some in the white mountains and did a few i think they did it like three or three or four times brought elk down and that's basically where the elk in arizona came from they were transferred from yellowstone national park no kidding from wyoming then huh yeah interesting um yeah well we certainly have plenty of elk now um that's one thing i think arizona does well is grow elk but it is a, it, it's not by accident. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into conservation uh, and habitat and, you know, particularly recently in, in water. Um, so let, let's talk about a bit about the structure of uh, Arizona Elk Society. You know, what's your mission? What's your goals? Uh, you know, wh- wh- what do you do here? You know, our mission is, is to raise money to, for, you know, to build resources to help keep elk on the ground, keep healthy herds and better habitat. And then obviously the hunting heritage, keep that alive in the state of Arizona. You know, we're, we're actually, you know, we're, we're very specific. All the money we raise stays in Arizona so we can have input into all the management and things with game and fish that, that we, we would like to have. That's great. Um, I'll tell you what, let's, let's talk about some of your programs. I know you guys have a lot of things going on. You have a program, Heroes Rising, um, that caters to our veterans. Can you tell us a bit about that? We started a program in 2015, and when we first named it, it was called Hunts for Heroes. And then the idea was to provide experience, big game hunts, 
for the wounded veterans. Game and Fish had, in 20, late 2014, the commission had worked with the legislature to put a statute in place that tags, if you drew a tag and couldn't use it, you could donate it to an organization that would take a veteran out. And so we decided to use the model to where we would supply the, the hunt itself three to four days with vol- volunteers kind of running, you know, taking the guys out mm-hmm. and helping them in the field and feeding them and everything. And we started out, we budgeted the first year for like seven to eight hunts and ended up doing 34. Wow. You know, and it's grown. Now we average anywhere from 100 in the COVID issues to 130 hunts a year for, for wounded veterans. You know, and it's, and again, it's, it's all done with volunteers, you know, so it's a, it's a neat, neat program. And we have so much phenomenal feedback from fathers and wives and saying, Hey, thank you for saving my husband's life. You know, you don't know where he was when you gave him that tag and you know, all the comments we have from the veterans of how the outdoors did really heal them. You know, they're healing through the, Mm -hmm. we call it healing through hunting. And now we change it to healing through outdoors, but the outdoors is a powerful, as you know, outdoors is a powerful tool in, in psyche you know, and making you feel comfortable and everything. And, and the veterans really responded to it really well. And it's phenomenal. We have a lot of veterans now, life members. We have a lot of veteran volunteers. We invite them back to everything we do and, you know, try to keep them in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, n- no doubt um, outside of my my family, um, I contribute everything good in my life to, to outdoors and, and wild places. And it's, it's been my driving force in my entire life. And I'm one of the fortunate people that have had no, no serious trauma in my life. So, so I can't imagine, uh, how beneficial that would be to those who have. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most rewarding things that we've done as an organization. Yeah. I bet. Uh, do you, I mean, is that throughout the state? I mean, do you do it in different units and do you have specific camps you go back to every year? No, it's all pretty much all across the state, depending on what tag we get. Yeah, I guess so. The volunteers, a lot of them have their own areas they take them into, you know, and then we have some guides and outfitters that actually volunteer their time to take them out during the seasons. And Mm -hmm. and we do all big game, you know, we do all the big game, uh, and we do predator camps. We do turkey camps. We do you know, all kinds of different camps for them. So there's all kinds of different opportunities. And, you know, thank you to the, uh, in a state that donated a lot of money to us, we're going to expand that program into equine therapy, which we've already been doing fishing trips and some other stuff. So it's going to be really good because we, we want to keep them in the outdoors, keep, keep them coming back. And Mm -hmm. with the tag transfer, we're very limited on who we can take and how many times we can take. Where if we, you know, if we offer them a kayaking trip in the summer and something in the winter and, you know, the equine therapy throughout the year in different areas of the state, you know, we, we can really keep them, keep them healing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, yeah. I was just in a discussion earlier this morning with someone in, in regards to, you know, if, if you want to get into the outdoor space um, and you want to surround yourself with good people, the conservation community is, is a place to do it. Uh, yeah. I'm constantly impressed with the kinds of people that you find here. And, and quite honestly, it's humbling. Uh, and it's a good reminder that I don't do enough, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I don't volunteer all the time. Now, granted, yeah, I, I mean, I'm in this space, you know, as my career and as my hobby. So I, I do a lot, but, but things like that, you know, are, are a good reminder that sometimes I don't do enough, but. I hear from people all the time that ask me, how do you get into hunting? How do you learn how to hunt elk? How do you learn how to hunt mm-hmm. coos deer? The best way to do it is to join an organization that's doing things and has, you know, volunteer projects. 
what do you think we talk about when we're sitting around the fire that night at the project eating our dinner? We want to talk about elk hunting. Yep. You know, so it's a great way to learn. It's a great way to meet like-minded mm-hmm. people, and it's actually a great way to get information. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know hunters can be tight-lipped when it comes to their spots, but you you get into a, a group of conservation-minded hunters around a campfire, and the information just flows like yeah. water. Yeah. So, All right, so I realize... You guys, well, I was going to ask also, are, are these primarily public land hunts or do you get access to uh, private property? We do get access to private property sometimes in, and you know, uh, so yeah, that, that's, yeah, yeah. We yeah, do. I can see that would be in a, a really nice way for private landowners to, to contribute to conservation. And, yeah, we're and allowed veterans. to help. Yeah, we help vets on the Navajo Depot and places yeah. like that. You know, so we, we can go anywhere the tag goes pretty much. Okay. Um, and I, I know you guys also run youth camps. Can you tell me a bit about those? That's uh, one of our things that we've done for, a, you know, since the very beginning. You know, we run uh, three or four different levels of camps for youth education about the outdoors. Mm-hmm. We have a camp called Wild in the City, which is mainly done here in town, out of Ben Avery or somewhere else close to Phoenix, so people can get to it. It's a one-day camp six classes six to seven classes to teach the younger kids you know about the outdoors mm-hmm. you know we would do the fishing the archery owl pellet dissection you know yeah. teach them out of glass all kinds of different things we have you know we mix it up a lot uh we partner with a lot of the groups that help us put on you know run their different sections we have calling section you know that pvci comes out and helps with the gold panning guys want to come out and they teach the kids how to gold pan so it's really a good good way to get a good mix of things for the little kids to learn about the outdoors Mm -hmm. during the lunch we always talk about conservation we talk about volunteerism things like that you know to try to encourage the families to come out to our volunteer projects and things like that the next level is our wapiti weekend which is a two two and a half day pretty much a two-day camp in the woods somewhere you know we used to do it at site white mountain wildlife area and now the barns falling down but they're uh we go out, we take about 100 kids, and we teach them a little bit more hardcore. You know, they get to shoot the guns and muzzleloaders. They get to bows, and we do tracking, GPSing, geocaching, all kinds of different things, you know. So it's a really cool camp in the woods, and the kids have a great time. You know, and, they, and we talk. that's when we talk to them a little bit about hunting. These are for the older kids, you know. So then, then it goes into the youth mentored camps that we do. You know, we run a camp for elk. If somebody gets drawn in Unit 6A or 5B North, 5B South, you know, we have a camp there, a support camp for them. We have mentors in camp that will take them out and teach them how to hunt and call. We work with the National Turkey Federation on a big turkey camp that's really cool. We take about 75 kids, same thing. The AES takes care of the logistics of the camp camp you know and then helping with the mentoring and things like that and teaching seminars during the day so it's you know a lot of those camps is part of the outdoor skills network and game and fish you know and there's just tons and tons of different camps mm-hmm. you know so those are cool and again we we market conservation we talk to them about volunteerism and you know try to get them as members and to come out to all of our volunteer projects yeah, you know, and, and maybe maybe slightly different from from the veterans work that you do, um, the the kids stuff. It's it's kind of self serving. Um, you know, if 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 we don't introduce people and and keep them interested in in you know this lifestyle that that we so much value and love, um, there's not going to be anybody there uh, in the future that, that cares about wildlife and wild places. Uh, that tangible connection is is powerful. Um, and it's extremely important that, that people stay engaged, especially in a in a continually urbanizing 
populace. Yeah. You know, it's, it's important that kids have that opportunity because it, it's already there. It's ingrained. It's in their DNA. You know, um, uh, I've heard it put that, you know, if you have a bunch of kids in a room, uh, you know, playing on tablets and video games, if you bring a puppy or a snake or a lizard and you drop it on the table, all those video games uh, just disappear. They don't care anymore. So they have the, this natural curiosity about about the natural world and about wildlife. So it, it's all there. You know, we just got to got to introduce them and then give them the opportunities. Yep. Yeah, it's a hard hard road to get to sometimes, but once you get to them, it's easy to convince mm-hmm. them that conservation and wildlife and habitat is is an important part of the, the lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was fortunate. I grew up on the edge of a small town in the Missouri Ozarks, so my, my entire childhood was spent exploring and playing, and, you know, I didn't, it's almost like I didn't have a choice. It's just all I ever did. But, um, all right, so sticking with the theme of, of the kind of, like, work that uh, Arizona Elk Society engages in, you know, we, we're, we're in the midst of a historic drought, um, and that, that's caused a lot of problems for, for wildlife on our landscape. How, what, what kind of work are you guys doing to mitigate that? Well, we have a program called Water for Arizona's Wildlife. Basically, a lot of us were volunteers you know, when we started in 2001, 2002, hauling water because we had a, we were in a drought situation back then. So we just stepped up and started helping game and fish haul water. Uh, the program kept going, and, and we I don't know when we finalized it. When we you know made it a real program was probably in 2013. We started getting grants and stuff to haul water, and so that was that kind of propelled it into more trailers. You know, we got it, bought an old truck, an old truck donated that we ran into the ground, you know, because it's pretty rough out there. But we started hauling thousands and thousands of gallons, you know, and, and in 2020, during the worst part of the drought, we hauled over 850,000 gallons of water with our trailers and volunteers. You know, the last year, the 2021, we got lucky and just be, before the season got horrible, you know, we had the rain finally, but we hauled a little over 500,000 gallons. You know, we've bought a lot of trailers. We've gotten grants for trailers from NAZI, SFWC, the Wildlife Conservation Plate Organization. Um, and we have, I think now we've got like 13 trailers, a couple trucks, and we had a semi-donated that hauls 2,500 gallons of water. So, you know, we have a pretty pretty big range of vehicles. And we what we do, we made a commitment to Game and Fish to work in Region 2 which is Unit 9, Unit 7 West, all around Flagstaff, basically everything north and a little bit east of Flagstaff. We cover all that area. And we, in addition to hauling the water, we also uh, restore a lot of the old drinkers that are out there. The Forest Service, Game and Fish has their drinkers, and the Forest Service has, I don't know, I couldn't even imagine how many, probably thousands here mm-hmm. in Arizona of old dilapidated water catchments. Yeah. You know, they stopped re- maintaining them about 15 years ago. So then, you know, they just stopped, you know, and they were put there for a reason. And so we went in and we'd get grants and agreements with the Forest Service to go in and rebuild those, you know, get them all restored so they're working. Then we put them on our list of things to haul to when game and fish, wherever the elk are moving to, we stay, the WMs kind of point us in the direction and say, you know, need you to hit, hit all these tanks over here. So adding more little ones, it's kind of a pain in some aspects, you know, but it's, it actually gives, uh, just puts more water on the landscape yeah. for the little critters too. And yeah, it's not only elk that benefit from water, that's for sure. Well, that's one thing that, you know, the public really, I think they get is it, when we put water out there, it's not just for the elk. It's for, mm-hmm. you know, we've we've had, you know, 
clouds of bees fly in on us. Oh, We've wow. had birds fly in. Yeah, no, we got tons of pictures of all that stuff, bats, all kinds of things. So, you you know, when you put water out there like that, especially during a drought, it's every animal out there uses it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been quite a drought as well. Um, so let, let's uh, stick in with the habitat theme. Can you give me some examples of other habitat projects you guys have done? You know, years ago when we started, we, we helped game and fish on projects. Mm-hmm. And then I don't remember, 2006 or seven, we started working with the National Forest Service, you know, uh, with the U.S. Forest Service doing projects for them. And it kind of morphed into now we do we, we back then we did a lot of fence removal, a lot of moving rocks around for barriers for the elk and stuff on the highways. And it's important stuff. But we weren't doing a whole lot of habitat restoration. So we started doing habitat restoration projects and, and it's now it's become pretty much all we do. You know, we, we started looking at things in the beginning you were pot shotting here, doing a water tank over here, doing a water tank over there. Now we look at it from a hundred thousand foot level, we look at ecosystems. Mm-hmm. You know, where's a watershed that we can restore? You know, we have 40 trained sawyers that are allowed to go out and cut trees in the woods, you know, in conjunction with the U.S. Forest Service. And now we go into an area, we say, hey, this is what the stream channel needs. This is what the thinning of the of the slopes needs. You know, we do the NEPA, we do all that stuff, and we get grants from a lot of different places and, you know, and fund it. Mm-hmm. And then the, the caveat is to our grants is that, a lot of the labor, the hand labor is done with volunteers. Mm-hmm. We still have to bring in contractors and stuff for certain things. And we bring in, you know, the guys that do the design work of the whole project because the Forest Service has a lot of paperwork requirements. Mm-hmm. But now we look at things on the ecosystem. We've restored two watersheds about three and a half miles each. You know, the stream channels thin the slopes. And it's amazing the difference in the, the forage you know, that came yeah. back, the water levels came back up and, you know, it's great what we do, but we do that all over. We do a lot of little stuff. We put up fences for, to keep OHVs out of certain meadows that the wildlife are using. You know, they, they, they like to go wherever they want. It doesn't work out too well for the animals. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole ecosystem approach. Um, do you guys, uh, do you guys engage in any, uh, like what's the word I'm looking at? I'm screwing this all up here. Uh, you know, elk migrate from, winter range summer range back and forth um migratory corridors do you guys do any work uh highway overpasses underpass i guess elk probably underpasses would not be the best way to go but but do you look at those situations do you work on that stuff definitely we've you know we've funded help fund the uh the one up by Payson. Mm-hmm. you know the elk crossing there to keep that thing running right now i don't think it's running anymore uh but we've we have been involved in all those we put up fences for the for a dot you know, where mm-hmm. they put the crossings, they tried the new crossings, we're actually getting involved in the new crossings on I-17 and overpass. And we did, then the underpasses get used a lot by elk, really? if they're designed right. And we found, you know, in, in Game and Fish found out, you know, there's certain designs that do work and certain that don't, you know, and they put camera traps up and, you know, keep a watch on the animals, how they react when, the, when a semi goes by as opposed to a car. Yeah. So we help with a lot of that kind of stuff. So yeah, the answer is quite yeah, definitely. What we do is is we work hand in hand with Game and Fish on all these projects. Mm-hmm. You know, they have maps of the migration through collaring and stuff. So we we actually concentrate a lot of our water projects and habitat projects according to that map. 
you know, we've actually sent our sawyers in and cleared out a whole area that was overgrown with junipers because it was a trip, typical migration corridor. And it was amazing how quick the elk came back and started using it again. You know, they were still using it, but not to the level they are now. Yeah. So. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, there, there's a lot that goes into this, huh? A lot of work out there to be done. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, all, all that habitat work. Now, you know, you, you talk about your volunteers. Can you put a number to that? You know, if we, I, I know that we have contact information for probably 1,500 volunteers. Wow, that's that's crazy. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the reason I ask that is, you know, the magnitude of the Arizona Elk Society in Arizona just blows my mind, you know, for, for a... For a state-centric organization, you guys just do big things. Um, you know, your stickers are on every other car that's going down the road or truck. Um, you, 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 you know, all of that water hauling, you know, could you put a figure to that monetarily-wise? Monetary, we spend about $200,000 a year hauling water. Wow. Between the equipment, maintenance, and all the issues. Right. It's People don't realize, even the volunteers, you know, how rough it is out there. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you've hunted in Unit 9 or Unit 7 West or 5B North where it's just dry, mm-hmm. you know, the rocks come out like crazy. You yeah. know, so you're, we're, t- we're hauling these, you know, with our trucks and with the volunteer trucks over roads that shouldn't be hauled, you know, but we got to get the water there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, that's, I, I kind of like to swing it back towards you. Cause that, that's, again, that's, what's so impressive about you. I think is the fact that you have the vision, um, and the talent to make these big things happen. Um, and, and that's foreign to me cause I don't have it, but, um, I hope to someday, but can, can you talk a bit about, you know, maybe your, your personal philosophies, not to back in a corner on, on conservation, you know, what drives you to do it. And then, how do you, you know, clearly you're a man with a great deal of business sense. How, how do you transfer that over into this work and, 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 you know, make these big things happen, you know, and I'll, I'll just reference quickly and we can talk more about it later, but your, your, your annual banquet is, is ridiculous. I mean, it's so big. I don't know how many guns you give away at that thing, but, but it's a lot of guns and I've never seen anything like it. So if you could, you could speak to some of that, I'd appreciate it. They, you know, the, the history I was an entrepreneur for 28 years, had my own business and built it up, you know, and, and when the Elk Society started, I wanted to be part of, part of it. You know, I didn't realize back then how much work it was going to be or how, you know, anything like that. But I, I've been fortunate in my life to have, you know, easy, easy vision, but without the board members support, without the volunteer support, without all the donor support and stuff, it would be impossible to do, you know, but I, in, Along the way, I had a lot of good mentors. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim DeVos at the Arizona Game and Fish, Ty Sipley, who's now our current president. I mean, just these people, as you know, you know, working for the Arizona Wildlife Federation, the leaders have have vision. And if you can tap into that, you know, it just, you need to surround yourself with people that can help, mm-hmm. can help move forward, can help, you know, realize, you know, look at your vision and say, hey, this is what you need to do. That's what you need to do. You know, when we opened the doors with the U.S. Forest Service, that was huge, you know, because then, you know, once you get past all the red tape and everything, there's a lot of cool stuff to do out there. You know, you could be thinning trees, you could be hiring, you know, two years ago, we did a big project, 300 acre logging project, you know, to restore wildlife habitat. So it's just, there's a lot of stuff that can be done if you can get through the hurdles of becoming a partner with them. 
and that's the same with Game and Fish and everything. You know, it just it's the partnerships that drive, and that's where the vision comes from is learning from them, learning mm-hmm. from the experts. Why why is it important that we restore this watershed? You know, because this feeds into the Little Colorado River that feeds into the Big Colorado River. I mean, it's just where if there's a reason in my mind, and this is, you know, a lot of it's just from going out and seeing the land that we don't have water anymore. And it's because we've let the junipers and the pine trees and all that just suck up all that moisture, you know, and, and it's not getting into the creeks and rivers anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other issues with the wells and things like that. I fully understand. But we wanted to concentrate on habitat restoration on the landscape scale. Yeah. You know, we were very fortunate in 2005 to be in, invited to the table with the Forest Service to purchase, uh, not purchase, to facilitate the retirement of an allotment, a cattle allotment. Mm-hmm. And the land that we conserved was basically elk range. You know, it, it was challenging to run cattle there. So they, you know, we worked with them and actually set that land aside and then started doing habitat projects there on, on the full 25 acres, you know, the... Uh, there's a lot more acres than that. The, uh, but the, that opened our eyes up to doing things, you know, on a whole landscape scale. Mm-hmm. And the forest, we worked very closely with guys within the Forest Service. We, you know, we were huge when we started the riparian restoration was another allotment that we, that we set aside right now, you know, for wildlife. This is the Buck Springs allotment up on the Mugion Rim, just filled with some of the most beautiful creeks and canyons and riparian meadows you've ever seen. But it had been damaged over time and needed to be restored. And we met a hydrologist there, Tom Runyon, that basically said, hey, I want to teach you how to do riparian restoration if that's what you want to learn. So we learned that, and now we're pretty much, I'm not going to say we're experts at it, but we hire the experts to tell us what to do, and then mm-hmm. we use the volunteers to do a lot of the work. So it saves the, the U.S. Forest Service tons of money. It puts land back into the land base for wildlife habitat. The forage just goes crazy when you do these kind of things, you know, for the wildlife. And it, it just uh, it's a no-brainer, you know, if you if you really care about conservation. Yeah. You know, when you see this, when you walk into a meadow that used to be a, a, a wet wetland and it's dry and the lilies are coming up because they love the hard ground, you know, and the, and the trees are encroaching on, you just lost a beautiful meadow that was so valuable, you know. So going in and be able to say, we restored that. You know, now look at it. The creeks run it again. The springs are running again. The, the the willows are growing again, and the grasses are are just phenomenal. Yeah, you know, that's gotta feel good. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and the banquet, it's a lot of work for a lot of people. Yeah. Again, we is. have you know just a huge volunteer force that comes out and supports our banquet. We've been very fortunate to to have great sponsors and donors that fill up the banquet real fast. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of corporations, a lot of construction companies are, you know, and just, and most of them are hunters, mm-hmm. you know, but they understand the the vision of making the state a better place, you know, and, 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 you know, the youth education and the veteran thing and, you know, everything we do is pretty much supported, you know, has full support of our donors and sponsors. And so it's, it's great. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I made it to my first uh, Arizona Elk Society banquet uh, just this year, 
And oh man, was I blown away at the, the sheer magnitude of everything. Um, it, it's an event. You should probably get a good night's sleep before you go, but uh, but it's worth going. It's uh, it's definitely it's a long haul of an evening, but it's a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy in that room. Yeah, the banquets are fun. We have our big banquet here, actually scheduled for April 9th uh, at Mesa Convention Center again. And then we also do one up in Sholo and one in Flagstaff. And those are a little more low-key, fun, you know, party Mm -hmm. atmosphere. Our big banquet is a little, it's not, it's long. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of stuff going on, a lot of raffles. Like you say, we give away a lot of firearms. Um, It it changes every year on how many, but... The uh, a lot of out, outdoor gear trips, all kinds of different things, you know. So it's it's a good time. It's just a it's a long night. It's a good six hour banquet, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 pretty long. Well, I should have probably mentioned earlier uh, when I was introducing you. Steve also uh, serves on our executive board for Arizona Wildlife Federation. So he's a, he's a big part of the decision making process of what we do and and, and how we operate. But uh, are you involved with any other conservation orgs in the state? Not so much conservation organizations. We Again, we partner with a lot of them. So I go to events with them and stuff, and, mm-hmm. you know, they come to ours and, and help us. So that's that's always fun. National Wild Turkey Federation, you know, we support them a lot. It's of our turkey camp that we do with them. And, you know, the it's hard to say support. Uh, but we, I'm on a, you know, commissions for the governor. Mm-hmm. I'm on commissions with game and fish. I'm on their, their committees and things, you know, for, especially the habitat, the habitat partnership committee I'm really involved in because I want to see the money that we raise through the tags that they auction off every year, go to the wildlife that it's supposed to, you know, that's very important to me that we, that the public stays engaged when there's money switching hands and things that need to be. We need to be out in the in the public. Mm-hmm. You know, Game and Fish offers a lot of opportunity for the public to come to their meetings and, and get involved in this stuff. And if you really care about it, you know, there's there's always a place at the table with them. Yeah, you know, they do. Um, and and I'll add, uh, and I, I'm part of this community, so bear with me here. The, the hunting community tends to sometimes just repeat what they hear their buddy say, saying. Um when it comes to things like archery opportunities, things like that, the issues we're dealing with right now. Um, so I continually encourage friends of mine to tune into those commission meetings because um, there you're going to learn the whys and hows and get it right from the biologist. You're going to understand why commissioners make the decisions they're going to make. You might not still agree with all of them, but you're going to see the process and you're going to understand the whys and hows, and that's very important. Um Sometimes it is a little frustrating for me to hear people just repeating misinformation they heard their partner say or or they got off the Facebook Arizona hunting group or something like that. There's a lot of that going around. And, yeah, uh, Arizona Game and Fish, I feel, does a very good job of getting that information out there and and, and having it accessible to the public um, if the public would only make a little bit of effort to, to absorb it. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big key. You know, working with them directly, you find out – that their hands are tied because it's, you know, the governor runs the game and fish department. Mm -hmm. So that means the legislature is involved. There's things, there's a lot of legal issues when they, people say, why can't you do this? Well, that's a legal issue, you know, so they have to go to the attorney general and talk to them about it, you know? So it's interesting, you know, people want to see change and, and sometimes change is hard for both parties, Mm -hmm. you know, but the department I know looks at every comment that comes in. You know, they look at them and they, you know, they, they act on them if it's something important to commissioners, you know, 
the commissioners are basically one of us, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, doing really good things for the department, but there's so much more involved with the legal aspect and the liability aspect and all those issues they run into. Same with the U.S. Forest Service. Yeah. You know, the paperwork to for us to do one project is just a tremendous amount of paperwork sometimes, you know, for these big projects that we do. And it's the same thing. I had to sit down with them and say, why, why, why? You know, and, and fortunately, I've been, again, mentored by really good people that, that told me the way things work legally. You know, changing something at Game and Fish when rules are only opened every five years means there's going to be a wait time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so you have to be involved in the process to keep it moving forward. You know, they have a, a website you can go to and sign up to get the commission agendas. Yeah, and I always recommend everybody just sign up for it. And if there's something on that agenda you're interested in, then go down or, or watch it on TV, on your radio, yeah. on your computer, you know, and learn about it. You know, because there's a lot of issues that sportsmen should be involved in that they're not. Yeah, I would agree you with know, that. And, and a lot of it takes time. You know, I was mm-hmm. very fortunate to have my own business that I could take that time in the beginning. And I went to, and I still go to a lot of the commission meetings. I talk with commissioners all the time on the issues. You know, as, as a lot of us do, I'm not the only one, you know, yeah, Brian Rim's out there pushing for the archery right now because mm-hmm. the archery, there's some big changes coming down, you know, and he's doing a great job and that's, that's how you get involved. But it's, you, you go back to those people that always regurgitate comments. Those are the ones that don't want to take the, and don't, maybe don't have the time to learn sure. the yeah. process, you know, but there's a process to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is out there though, that they, they, that that information is transparent. Most of those decision making process or processes are transparent, and it's there if you want it. And I get it. You know, I'm, I'm one of the fortunate few that get to work in conservation, and and, and I, I'm just blown away every day. I wake up and realize that, um, and not everybody's got the time, but uh, but it is there, um, and you can get it. And you know, it's always good to be skeptical, no matter skeptical, no matter what you're doing or what you're getting into. But all right, Steve. So looking into the future, you see any big changes coming up for the Elk Society? changes in directions the kind of work you want to go changes on the landscape no you know covid knocked back we we couldn't get permissions from the forest service to go out and do projects game mm-hmm. and fish pretty much shut down their lands for a while uh so right now we just want to get back to our youth camps and get back to the habitat projects yeah. you know hopefully 2022 everything's going to break loose completely you know and we can get back to all that because that's one thing we miss being out in the woods we did we were we did a lot of projects with our water team you know, the hauling water, fixing tanks. We did some small habitat projects this year, last year. You know, and it just, we want to get back to our big projects. We're really excited to get back to them. So we've got them on our schedule, and we're working with the Forest Service right now to, to solidify everything. Awesome. Well, Steve, I mean, I can tell you, you know, you're, you 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 give a lot of people, uh, other people credit in which you should but, but I can tell you that not a lot of people out there have in- implemented the, the level of change uh, that you have, you know, in, in, this, in this space, in this conservation space. I'm not trying to earn too much, but the facts are facts, and, uh, and you've had a huge impact on wildlife and, and habitat in Arizona, and that, that's something to be proud of. I certainly right. admire it. I'm proud of what the AES has done. I, you know, I am proud of myself, but it, you know, it really goes back to those mentors and the, the people that help me. Yeah. You know, the people we partner with more than anything else, because I, I, I can't do this alone. The Elk Society can't do this alone. You know, even multiple partnership groups sometimes can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, we all need to be working to make things happen, and sometimes it, it's 
on a big scale, it just takes some time and, and a lot of work. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, Steve, thank you so much for talking to us. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you and, very much, uh, Michael. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Steve Clark of the Arizona Elk Society. And if I did not beat that dead horse enough in our discussion, I'm going to say it one more time. They are a fantastic organization and worthy of your support. Also, please get a hold of me at podcast at azwildlife.org. Tell me what you think. Um, Give me your suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. Tune in again in two weeks. Thanks for listening. See you then. (laughs) Oh, <laughs>